Achieving a gorgeous grin from home isn't a total mystery with Byteclear aligners. Just don't be surprised if all of your sleuthing friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Byteclear aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at That's Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Welcome to the Como Sports End Zone Podcast with Como Sports Director Nico Tamurian and Najee Moye. How's it going? Welcome to the Como Sports End Zone Podcast. I'm Nico Tamurian. And I'm Najee Moye. What's going on, guys? Not much. You know what, Naj? It feels good to be back. And it has been such a crazy week and really couple weeks in Seattle sports. I mean, last week's show was all about the Mariners, the, the bowing of the playoffs, the comment from the GM. And then you go into this week, and there's just so many different events going on. We, we've got huge football games, none bigger than the Huskies having game day from ESPN come on, putting that undefeated record on the line against the Oregon Ducks, the Seahawks traveling to take on the Bengals. This is a lot of fun. I mean, just any way you look at it, Nash. Yeah, but but one of the most fun things that happened in Seattle this past week NBA. Yeah. Not in the way you would probably think, I guess, you know, but there was an NBA preseason, albeit preseason. There's a lot of parentheses in my little monologue here, but the Jazz and Clippers came back again. They like us a lot, by the way. Yeah. I, here's the thing to me. We all know that not having the Sonics is that civic hole in Seattle right now. 15 years, which is crazy. They should have never left, but they shouldn't certainly have been gone for this long. And we all know, we, we see the writing on the wall. We know that expansion appears likely. It's been 20 years since the NBA expanded, 21 years, honestly. It's one of those things, the momentum is there. And we've much chronicled it uh, in our newscast here at Como. No question about it. And I just think that what you take from these preseason games is, A, that it was a preseason game, but it felt like the NBA Finals. And B, that this was the second year in a row, as, as Naj alluded to, and Yet it felt like an NBA Finals game, and and it and it was the second year in a row that the crowd packed Climate Pledge Arena, and that there was Supersonics chance, and that there was just a a feeling that hey NBA like okay it wasn't just last year the novelty of that first preseason game since Climate Pledge Arena was redone like this city this town would and will support the Sonics every single night that they're back. Yeah, we're talking about the Rain City Classic at Climate Pledge Arena. I mean, and you were there. I wasn't, unfortunately. You were uh, working. You I were was working. Work. I was doing actual work. Um, <laughs> but just all the video I've seen, just all the Sonics legends that just came out, all the Seahawks, well, not specifically Seahawks, but Seattle sports royalty just kind of showed up to the palace. I'm going to call it the palace from now on. Um, the palace that is Climate Pledge Arena just to show, hey, this city depend doesn't depend, but it needs, is starving for a basketball, an NBA basketball presence. Now, the Storm do a great job. I love Love watching Storm Gage at Climate Pledge Arena. But we're, we're, what we saw is another, I want to call this maybe year two of a beautiful show and tell. Of I mean, 
let's just talk about the court by itself. You know, Climate Pledge Arena, very green. That's the idea of the whole entire arena. And we saw what the court looked like. I can just imagine where it said Seattle and all those great graphics on the court, how you can just kind of fashion it. Okay, Climate Pledge Arena, Sonics on one side, you know, Supersonics on the other side. You know, I just, I, I don't know. It, I just kind of saw it, even though it was a preseason game against, the, you know, with the Jazz and Clippers. And shout to Steve Bomber for bringing them back, by the way. Um, bring the Clippers back, that is. I just, I don't know. I just kind of felt like it's only a matter of time, Nico. I think so. And you talk about it being a matter of time. And certainly one thing that stands out to me about that is the NBA really has stuck to its timeline in that regard. You know, for a while, Adam Silver, their commissioner, was saying, all right, listen, we've got to do our collective bargaining agreement, then our new media rights deal, and then we'll start to look at expansion. And certainly he cannot say Seattle or Vegas or any of those two frontrunner cities. And if you're asking me, I think the NBA does expand by two, and I think it's Seattle and Vegas. And that is by no stretch going out on a limb. I think almost anybody would say that. But they have stuck to that timeline, okay? The collective bargaining agreement is done earlier this year. It's all set. And even after that, Silver was on the record as saying, okay, next is the media rights deal, and then we look at expansion. And what's interesting about that is like my gut reaction is like, why wouldn't you expand before you go to a media rights deal where you can, in theory, go to your partners at ABC, ESPN, or wherever that rights package goes and say, well, I'm going to sell you the content of 32 games, not 30. Well, that's my TV mind thinking. But Adam Silver is, my goodness, he's direct, he's meticulous, and he's led that NBA, as you know, to new heights. And I think that he's going to stick to that timeline. And I really think that when you're looking at the owners and the lost revenue during the pandemic, we're talking about expansion fees being north of $3 billion, maybe $3.5 billion. That would be $7 billion in expansion fees if you get two teams, which I think they would, and that stays with the owners. That is not shared um, with players or anything like that. Those owners who lost money during the pandemic, of course, they want that $7 billion, give or take a few million or whatever that might be. And so that's your timeline. And Naj, if you look at that timeline, to me anyway, that screams of the NBA announcing expansion within the next 12 months, maybe even much sooner than that, to be quite frank with you. Within and a year. Within a year. And then you're talking about the process, which I, I don't, I can't fathom a scenario where it's not two teams and it's not Seattle and Vegas. Yeah, I mean, definitely. I mean, there's a lot of cities that obviously want NBA teams. You know, Nashville's buying, buying sure. for a baseball team at the, at this moment, you know. and But we just see how – and I, I, I use Las Vegas – as a jumping off point, because maybe 10 years ago, there was not one pro team in Las Vegas. The Aces are, are a very, very fantastic WNBA yeah. franchise. The Raiders moved from their Mobile. shack in Oakland um, to a beautiful palace in, in, in on the strip there. And we see what's happening with the Spears, you know, and there, there's actually a new stadium being built for the Oakland Athletics. We're just going to take all of Oakland, just move it to Las Vegas, and just kind of call it good. Um, but we've just seen, and this is a city that didn't even that didn't have a really big sports presence before the Raiders and the Aces came to town. Seattle has a palace of an arena, championship level sports teams. I mean, and we already saw the impact of what a great, uh, I guess, basketball personality will have on this city. Um, we saw that last summer when LeBron James came and uh, just kind of hung out with Jamal uh, Jamal Crawford during the Jay crossover. He could barely even walk into that, uh, <laughs> right. that arena at um, at Seattle Pacific. I mean, and I can tell you, speaking of that that game, I want to mention also Doug Pigsley was there. Uh, come Shout out uh, to Doug. Shout out to Doug. 
Como for photographer extraordinaire was there. He told me it was so warm <laughs> in that building. Yeah. The the um it was so packed. The guardrails were slippery. Well, that's why the court had the condensation to call the game, which that shouldn't dampen what an awesome event. Uh, Jamal Crawford, one of my favorite people in Seattle, put on. Right. Um, you no. know, Naj, you you hit on something though. You talk about that the you know, basketball personalities are really embracing Seattle, and you talk about a guy like LeBron coming here. Jason Tatum was here with that as well. Yeah. KD, who obviously Got was drafted. a rookie, yeah, he was drafted here. Yeah. Was a rookie here in the last year of Seattle basketball. Russell Westbrook was the, you know, a, was drafted to Seattle before they moved to Oklahoma City. Technically a Sonics draft pick. Yeah. Um, but KD, I want to talk about specifically because he he's openly championing for Seattle to have a team. Oh yeah. And I remember somebody asked me, what would you call the team? He was like the Sonics? Like, what are you talking yeah. about? It was a very quick reaction. I know exactly what you're talking about. Yeah. He was just like, what, where, where would you put it in Seattle? Very quickly. What would they be called? Sonics. Sonics. Yeah. And I, and, and certainly from those guys who played here, to the people, you know, from the Jazz and Clippers who were just here for a couple days, they really embraced this city. And we all know the the primary catalyst for this team moving back when, the primary reason the Sonics did not come back sooner was the big question about an arena. Well, that's a question that's no more. Oh, yeah. Climate Pledge Arena is state-of-the-art, as you mentioned. And so that's kind of the angle I took with some of the, the NBA players that were here in town. I was able to catch up with my new, by the way, favorite NBA player, Bones Highland. Best name in basketball. Really cool guy. Bones and I were able to check things out. Um, I talked to him about Seattle. What he thinks about Climate Pledge. What he thinks about the NBA being here. Take a listen. Your initial impressions on this arena, it was really redone with the idea of bringing the NBA back here. I'm not going to lie. This arena is nice. Uh, Walking in here, lights are bright. Uh, just feel like a you know basketball arena, so this is dope. I like it. Hopefully sooner rather than later. Of course, the storms here. We're talking about the NBA too. But hey, let's talk about what it means for Seattle fans because the Sonics left 15 years ago, yeah. and they really want this league back. And for one night only, you all are bringing it to them. What does it mean to you to do that for fans? Uh, it'd be dope just to have another team, you know, back in another city like you know Seattle. You know, I feel like Seattle fans are you know really enthusiastic fans. They into basketball, so just to put another basketball team here again, that'd be big, you know, for you know culture of basketball. And that's just it as well. It was a tough way. That team left all those years ago. This place is going to be packed. They're going to be chanting Supersonics on the court. What's that? What's your, <laughs> your reaction going to be like when you see that? Um, it's going to be dope. It just brings back a lot of memories to, you know, when KD and all was over and like, Seattle Sonics and stuff like that. So it's going to be dope just to be back in the arena like this and uh, just play. That was my next question. What Do you have any memories of the Sonics? Of course, KD was here for that final year. But yeah. what are your memories of that green and gold jersey and all that good stuff? Honestly, just a, I like the way the jerseys look. But also, you know, everybody know that KD played for the Sonics. So that's what the only memory that I know. We're hoping he can make it back here one day. <laughs> he probably, I don't know, though. <laughs> hey, we appreciate you. Good sure, luck. Man. Thank you. That's Bones Highland. And certainly, uh, you see Najee, that personality coming through. And he certainly... Um, got a lot. That's the thing that stands out to me. You know, Bones ex doesn't exactly have a Seattle connection, right? Yet here he is. He's part of this game. He's having fun. And he's raving about Climate Pledge Arena from the second he walked in. No bones about it, baby. He loves it here. He <laughs> loves it here. You made me like cackle right there. Are you cackling? I mean, no, I mean, seriously, though. I mean, but I mean, who, who, I mean, it's obvious though that, you know, the players, they want to play. And these are players that, I mean, they travel all across the country and, you know, even across the world, you know, for international tournaments, you know, they've seen great arenas and they've seen not so great arenas. Um, and 
I haven't even heard one. No one has ever said one negative thing about Climate Pledge Arena, um, whether it be a WNBA player or Kraken or even someone visiting from a, another um, another team. I also want to mention that the Clippers are also working on their own arena in Los Angeles. Right. So they don't have to keep sharing theirs with Los, with the with the Lakers. And he's probably just looking around like, you know, I mean, we're going to have one of these, but it may not be quite so nice. <laughs> yeah. Um, you bring up a great point when you mentioned the crack. And by the way, so happy their season's getting going. I can't wait for the home opener Tuesday. Um, when it comes to – okay, listen, the Kraken, when it comes to the calculus of bringing an NBA team back, listen, the Kraken is incredible and, and super important on their own right. I, I just don't want this to get twisted. But when you bring it to the calculus of the NBA's return to Seattle – the Kraken have been incredibly, incredibly valuable in that equation because, you know, you brought, you built, first of all, from the arena being built. I mean, that's, that's step one. You can't complete the first sentence without saying that. Um, but then if you're the NBA, you're watching and, and you're seeing this town support the Kraken, not just when they're beating Colorado in the Stanley Cup playoffs, but every given night, that place is packed. It is packed. It is loud. And this town supports them to the fullest. And they always will. And if you're the NBA, that is about as close as an example or experiment, for lack of a better term, that you can have to preview your return to Seattle. Because it's just such a similar dynamic. Like, they want to know what game 55 of 82 is going to feel like. Yeah, they want to know what the Tuesday night game is going to yeah. be like. I mean, what what the Thursday night game is, what the Monday night game is going to be like in the middle of January, you know, when people don't really want to go in this rainy outside. People still pack out that place. I remember I, w- I was watching the Kraken. Um, there was a watch party there for the, the game against yeah. Dallas, and it was packed out there for a watch party to watch a game on TV. It was insane. I enjoyed every bit of it. It's I, amazing. Wish we won, but I enjoyed yeah. every bit of it. <laughs> They'll be back. Uh, They'll be back. Definitely. We'll talk plenty more about the Kraken in this podcast. Um, by the way, speaking it into existence here, wearing the old school Sonics logo on my jacket, um, got the, the Gary Payton version behind my head here. Um, for those of you watching the video version of this, um, you know, speaking of that atmosphere at Clown Pledge Arena, one thing I want to touch on, uh, one more thing on the NBA and the dynamic of it, and this will actually be a transition into our Seahawks chat, is, I mean, that place, there were so many dignitaries and celebrities. Uh, it was a lot of fun seeing Sue Bird, Megan Rapino there all the former Sonics legends, my buddy, George Carl was a great man. And just seeing all those people there, there were a lot of current and former Seahawks there. Doug Baldwin was there. Um, that's a guy who could ball. He could have been in the NBA. If Doug he pursued Baldwin. It. All right. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, Proud of Gulf Coast high, uh, high school. There you go. There you go. go One of the current Seahawks was there. Bobby Wagner. Uh, I was able to catch up with him. How much fun he had at that game and just how much, he would love to see the Sonics back here in Seattle. So I want you to take a listen to what Bobby Wagner had to say. I definitely feel like this city needs an a NBA team. I think it would be fun to have that, uh, to compliment our women's team. And um, who knows? We'll just sit here and wait. I know a lot of people talk about Vegas, but, you know, who wants to go to Vegas? And there is Bobby Wagner. Uh, you know, I, I love to, when you really look at this from that perspective, um, you know, these are M- these are NFL players that have played in the biggest of stadiums and really enjoyed uh, the biggest of moments. Bobby is the last connection to that Super Bowl team. And to hear him say that certainly does carry weight. And so let that be our transition, Najee, to the Seahawks. Bring back the Sonics. Bring them back. And I think that'll happen sooner rather than later. To the point where I can promise you many more of these Como Sports End Zone podcasts will be about the Sonics. But let's talk about the game that we have here and now. Seahawks won three in a row. 
uh, back against the Bengals this Sunday. Now, are you worried at all that they lost any momentum? The Seahawks? Like, yeah, with the week off. No. I mean, the, the it's weird because having a bye week this early in the season, it may be kind of odd, you know. But, you know, it kind of maybe it might actually help the Seahawks in the long run. It may give them, not to say that the first couple games of the season may serve as a bit of a preseason, but um, it might serve as a bit of a preseason. That being said, they have a winning record already, and they're doing very well. Um, but it gives them a chance to kind of say, hey, let's take – we have a short, a small sample size. What are we doing well? Let's take a second to get healthy. We have a lot of guys coming back from injury this, uh, for, for this game. And just kind of just get ready because we have a long – long long marathon of a season coming up i mean but that being said the bengals are a very very tough team they're a very dangerous team because we see how crazy that offense can get um but one thing i'm wondering i mean joe burrow has a bit of a calf injury he's not moving around so great he looked great last week i wonder how i mean he has not taken off any time for this injury but i i think the hawks will be coming off firing because i mean having the extra week you're rested yeah i i think that the big thing for the Hawks to have the bye week when they did was allowing all those guys to come back from injury. Jamal Adams was able to clear concussion protocol. Charles Cross has been practicing. I would anticipate he comes back. Um, that was big. The only thing they could, I, I agree with you. I don't think they'll lose momentum. In fact, I asked DK Metcalf about that. And he's like, you know, we're just taking it one game at, the time, at a time. Pete Carroll didn't, he wasn't concerned about it, but he's cognizant of the potential of it. And so he wanted to make sure practice this week was as sharp as possible. I know that's coach speak, but that's kind of, it makes sense when you think about it. Um, the only thing that can be a concern is that when you think about it, um, yeah, that's 13 games now in a in row. A row. Yeah. And, and, and that's, it's- something that could become a storyline when the playoffs come, because if you make the playoffs and I, and I suspect the Seahawks will, you're talking about playing not just 13, but maybe 14, 15, something like that weeks in a row too. Yeah. I mean, I it almost didn't even dawn on me until you mentioned that we are coming off of bye week and we have so much longer to go. Such an early bye week is so odd, but I mean, they're, they're, we're, we're getting onto a stretch of the schedule where, you know, we got the Bengals this week, followed by the Cardinals, followed by the Browns, followed by the Ravens. Now that being said, the Cardinals are better than people think they are. I want to say, and the Browns may be a little bit worse than people think they are. You know, um, this is a time where the Seahawks can take a great record and turn it into an even better record. I mean, get over this hump of the the Bengals, and what do you got? Cardinals, and Browns, and Ravens. I mean, the Ravens are are. The, I believe the Seahawks are a great team, upper echelon of the teams in the NFL right now. I believe, and I do believe that they can beat a team like the Ravens, and certainly a team like the Bengals. That being said, the AFC North teams normally difficult, obviously difficult, but. I, I think that this may be the, the start of a couple games in a row where we'll have the W's in the win column for the Seahawks. And, and certainly at that point, you're talking about extending the win streak to five or six. Here's my thing with this upcoming stretch. Um, and you hit the nail on that about all those AFC North teams. I mean, you hit a stretch where the Seahawks conceivably could be a favorite for five straight weeks. Are they going to win all five? I, I, I'd say... They could. I'm so very they, optimistic, but, but it's so difficult to do that in the NFL. It's hard. So, but on the flip side of that, on the other side, after the stretch after you play the Bengals, the Cardinals, Browns, Ravens, and Commanders, then you have the Rams, who are middle of the road at this point, but they also beat the Seahawks and had a great second half against them in the season opener. Then the Niners, then the Cowboys, then the Niners again, and then the Philadelphia Eagles. On the same note of that, they're like, well, those are five games you could all lose. Will they? No, I don't think they will. I I think that 
Those are very tough teams you pointed out. I mean, the Niners twice, so that's a division. Yeah. That's a division opponent. Opponent, and then, then that that Rams game is a get back game. Right. Uh, yeah, I agree with that. No question about it. And so that becomes the difficult thing here. You're, you're looking nine, ten weeks down the road. It's impossible to say like, oh, these next ten weeks, because then you're talking about the whole season. But the reality is, you almost have to break it up in that way. And, and no coach will do this. Obviously, they're looking right. only at Cincinnati. They don't care one bit about the Cardinals and Browns and and whoever else after that. They are looking at this from the standpoint of let's take care of business, but I'm looking at it from a standpoint of like, okay, if you get through these next five quite winnable games, winning four or five, which is reasonable given those opponents, um, you're suddenly looking at being seven and two, maybe better, right? Right. And then everything is right in front of you, even with those next five difficult games. Because even if you were to get two of those, which, you know, the Hawks in theory would probably do better. But this is all hypothetical. Even if you get two of those, you're talking about being at the nine win mark with three games to go. And and that's a shoe in for a playoff bid. Does the NFL ever work quite that simply? No, almost never. No. I mean, who thought the Dolphins were going to have 70 points a couple weeks ago? But (sighs) right. You know, so I think that it's never going to quite go that way. But you really as a as a fan or as an observer, you look at that stretch from the standpoint of like, okay. These are games where you really got to rack up those wins. Doesn't matter who they come against, just matters you have enough to get in the playoffs. Well, and also you got to look at who else is in your division. The Rams are a very tough team. The Niners are a Super Bowl, a Super Bowl caliber yeah. team. Some might say Super Bowl favorite team. They're also the team that knocked the Seahawks out of the playoffs last year. And I think every, I mean, we're looking ahead at the schedule. The players, P. Carroll's certainly not. The players certainly aren't. But if they are, and you know they shall be looking towards Christmas anyway. <laughs> Um, the only couple couple months away. Um, circle that first matchup against the Niners. You know, get that revenge game. We got a couple of revenge games back to back. Why not? You know? I mean, because I mean, I now was at Sam's Tavern in South Lake Union and watching that that Seahawks game against the Niners. And I'm not going to lie to you, the first half was fantastic. Sure. The second half was less than fantastic. <laughs> <laughs> but and but that that sounds like a Niners team, and the Niners team, and they've only gotten more consistent since then. You know, I. If you've been listening to this podcast for quite a while, I always say that the Mariners, well, now this is the dated reference now, but the Mariners were kind of built to try to compete with the Astros. I still think that's true. Well, you miss out by a game or two, you know, but I think you're spot on with that. But and I think it's the same thing with the Seahawks and Niners, I believe, you know, and you consider their division opponents and they're just always butting heads with each other. Um these are games that November twenty third game is a game you definitely need to circle in the week before that, November uh, let's see what uh, the game the week the week before that against the Rams. Um, circle both those games. Circle them with a red marker because I believe, and I don't want to predict an upset right now. Pete Carroll's got Pete Carroll's working. Pete yeah. is working. He's chewing a lot of gum. He's chewing a <laughs> lot of gum. Yeah, um, I like it. But what do you think about the Bengals though? I mean, I, I let's talk about scores for this Bengals game. I yeah. think we're both kind of on the same path here. Seahawks have a great offense. Bengals also have really good offense. Um, unfortunately, too good. Um, good for Nico, not good for me because we had a fancy. That's right. Up. Oh, I didn't take any pleasure in that. I mean, we, I was at, here's the, the disclosure on that now. Just yes. that, as you know, I was not able to make the station's fantasy league draft because somebody scheduled it while I was working. Thank you. Um, so I, I my first round pick was auto picked Jamar Chase. Um, and, oh, I was, boom. and I was very much lamenting that the first four oh, weeks of the season, boom. and then it kind of came through. I didn't want to, I don't want to be anybody else in the league. Yeah, great, I'll beat you. I don't care, but I don't want to beat Najee. Like the nicest guy ever. And be- and like, here's the thing. I've lost one game in this league all season. It was to Paul Rivera. Like, I'm competitive. Like, I didn't even say congrats to Paul or anything. I'm just like, yeah, whatever. 
you know, I'll see you in the playoffs. That Monday after, I walked into the sports office, and yeah, Nico has Jamar Chase on his on his team, and yeah, after Jamar Chase was like, "Hey, Joe, I'm open," he caught three touchdowns and ran and caught for you know a billion yards. So I walked into the sports office, and I was like, "Hey, Nico," <laughs> and you know, like I'm I'm very nice guy, but I'm also deeply competitive. Sure. Um, I was like, congratulations, by the way. <laughs> I didn't get a text message or anything all weekend. That shows, that shows you how nice of a guy Nico is. I would and never. How, and how much of the opposite I am. <laughs> you were so, you were very nice about it. and I Yeah, because you're a nice person. And I hope you're, I you're see nice you in the playoffs. It. You're nice about it, yeah. Well, thank you. You're very nice about it. Yeah. Um, but I won't you, make the playoffs. I, I will say this. To, to your question about that, though, I went on the fantasy tangent. I think that that's the Bengals team everybody expected that's gone to the Super Bowl and then AFC Championship in back-to-back years. Um. So I think the Seahawks are in for a real test. Um, Pete Carroll was singing the praises of that team, highly respectful of that squad. DK Metcalf was talking about that big 70-plus yard touchdown from Burrow to Chase and said it was just like effortless. It was just so fluid. It was uh, You can tell there's a deep sense of respect right there. Um, one thing, and you, you know this, Naj, I've mentioned this a bunch. My predictions are almost solely going to be based on feel, like, I, like observing games for all these years. And just like this has a feeling of this. Now it's not always going to work out that way, right? But yeah, sure. If you look on paper, boy oh boy, what an interesting matchup with that revamped Seahawks secondary that finally has a healthy Jamal Adams, second year Reek Will, and Devin Witherspoon showed the whole world what he can do against the Giants. Yes, Sorry. we know. And um, I can't wait to see that secondary against those Bengals receivers. I also just like where the Hawks are at. I know you can say that about the Bengals. Bouncing back from a really tough loss to the Titans where they got run off the field and then beating Arizona the way they did. But there's something I like about this Seahawks. And I think there's going to be a lot of points, but there's something about Gino. There's something about this team. I think it'll be a close game. And I think when it's a close game, I'm not betting against the Hawks ever. I I like them 34, 31. If you're making me pick a score, I just like where they're at. And there's something about this team. And I hope we can come back to the show in a few weeks and be like, that's what I was talking about. Because I, but I feel like we've already seen that when the Panthers game, even if the Panthers are terrible, when they kind of made it a little bit close, Seahawks found the answer. Yeah, well, and if you've the Lions game is a much better example. I don't know why I went to the Panthers, but Lions erased a 10-point deficit. Seahawks come back to win in overtime, right? Yeah, well, the Lions also have a very, very strong offense, as yeah. do the Bengals uh, this year. Now, you mentioned the Panthers game. I know longtime listeners of this podcast, first of all, thank you. We appreciate thank you. you. Um, second, second of all, the Panthers, I called that game as a trap game going forward because that was maybe a team that wasn't doing so well. I thought Bryce Young was going to start. He didn't. Um, the, and the Hawks did not play a very good first half. And it looked very trappy at the beginning. Um, things got straightened out, and then they won. Congratulations. That being said, this Bengals team is completely different. Actually, the Bengals team, are, this was the best team, I think, that the Hawks have played all year. I would, you know, I would hazard to say, honestly. Um, and when you look at the secondary of of the Seahawks lined up against that offense for the uh, the Bengals, I just like, I, I, I don't know, like, I think it'll be a high-scoring game. There'll be a lot of big plays, but I think when it comes down to it, Pete Carroll's going to send the house to Joe Burrow. No house calls. But he's going to send the house to Joe Burrow, though, to make sure. Because Joe Burrow's got, he's got a little cap injury. He's not moving around as well as he was at LSU when he was there with Jamar Chase, you know. Um, if you're making me pick a score, um, I'm going to go 41-31 Hawks. Okay. On the so road. So we're in the same mindset here. Yeah, I think okay. there'll be a lot of points. Um, I think there'll be a lot of points, and yeah, it's on the road, but I, I still am very confident in Geno Smith, who has not written me back still. I don't think he will. No. Um, 
Well said, Nash. Um, I like to, to move. The spirit of performance is what defines Acura. And now it's electric. Introducing the ZDX, Acura's most powerful SUV yet. Crafted using the same formula that brought them electrified supercars and multiple IMSA championships, the ZDX has track-tested performance that packs an energy all its own. Unlock the energy and order yours at Acura.com. Move on to the biggest game in college football this weekend. Anywhere, not just in the Pacific Northwest, not just Seattle, not just Washington, the whole country. And that's why ESPN's game day crew is coming in. And, and free plug here, the game is on Como, 1230 kickoff Saturday. Undefeated, number seven, Washington. Undefeated, number eight, Oregon. It doesn't get much better than that. The first time that Oregon and Washington, both in the top 10, for a game at Husky Stadium in this 100-plus year rivalry history here. And I I just, this is going to be a fun game. And I really think the winner of this game has the inside track to the college football playoffs. And that said, you'd have to take care of business the rest of the way. For the Huskies, that includes, you know, a a still tough USC team that's right there as well. I just, I I can't wait for this game. Uh, Michael Penix Jr., in my opinion, should have won the Heisman last year. I think he's the front runner to do so this year. And, and Bo Nix on the other side is pretty darn good as well. Now, this is going to be so much fun. This is that opportunity for the Huskies to get that national respect. We know there's an East Coast bias when it comes especially to college football, and that's why Penix didn't win the Heisman last year. If it was fair, he would have. Are you suggesting that it wasn't fair? Yeah. And, I, and I, well, to, the, to that point, Caleb Williams won it last year, and he's obviously an amazing player, probably uh, first pick overall next year, right? But – a lot of those ballots for the Heisman Trophy voting were sent in before the Pac-12 championship game. And so people voted for Caleb Williams, not even knowing he was going to lay a total egg in that Utah Pac-12 title game. And USC was going to be beaten pretty bad and essentially be out of the college football playoff at that point. To me, that I mean, listen, I don't want to mess with the tradition of the Heisman because we've messed with every other good tradition, tradition? we've had in college sports. What, what is that? But I just thought that, that was a little called? bit silly. Yeah. That like, oh, yeah, oh well, when it mattered on the stage of a conference championship, Williams did not deliver. And I'm not knocking the player that he is, but I'm just saying that to me, what screams Heisman? How about Penix Jr. rallying his team against Oregon to win on the road in Eugene 37-34 last year, beating this Texas team that until Oklahoma put them in their place was the trendy pick. Oh, they're going to win the national title. It's like everybody forgot UW beat them. Right. And Penix beat them. And so to me, that's what I think is a little bit unfair about how UW and especially Michael Penix Jr. have been viewed around the country. Finally, just now, everybody's starting to come around to it. Oh, yeah, it took him a year and a half of playing at this elite level, though. You know, I I, I want to double down on everything you just said, first of all, because one, I do believe Michael Penix Jr. will win the Heisman this year. He's definitely deserving. Um, he's leading the nation and passes per attempt as a quarterback. He's got literally a small bazooka as an arm, a large <laughs> bazooka as an arm. What am I even saying about? Um, as you said before, this is a show-me game. Um, it's a show-me game for a lot of people. It's a show-me game for UW. It's a show-me game for the Pac-12. Um, both these teams will no longer be part of the Pac-12 next year. Um, but this is a show-me game for the rest of the country. Like, hey, the best football is being played out here, not in the SEC and not in the ACC, and definitely not in the Big 12. Um this is also a show me game for University of Oregon. As I mentioned before, we're very early in the season. This is a big game. Oregon has not played anyone. Oregon has played Portland State. Oregon has played Texas Tech. They played Hawaii. They played Colorado. Who's ranked? Yeah. Yeah. 
but that's really about it. And, and they played Stanford last week. So uh, both these teams have something to prove. This, this is the big, the first big test, you know, a big conference test, a border test. There's no nickname for this. Is there a special nickname for this? I know Oregon, Oregon. State I just think they hate each other. Or the Apple. I, <laughs> yeah. Well, I, and, and hey, and I like that. There's nothing. And wrong you know with what? That. As my good friend Dubs once told me, and I got to text Dubs after this. Dubs tells you things? I, I text Dubs, which really is Handler, but I like the picture. It's Dubs texting me, like, hey, man, can't wait to see you this weekend. Hey, man. I don't know. Hey, man. It's like a dog voice. Um, Dubs once told me, uh, you can't pet a duck, but you can pet a husky. There you go. And and Dubs would win. Like if it was Dubs versus a duck, like I, I like ducks. I don't want anything to happen to the duck, but Dubs would win. Right. Channeling my inner Mike Leach, rest his soul, mascot warp. But yeah. Um let's let's talk about these two quarterbacks. You mentioned now Michael. she's getting us back on track. Well, <laughs> well, this is, this is something I rarely do because I'm oftentimes driving <laughs> this train off the tracks. Um, let's talk about two quarterbacks. You mentioned mentioned Michael Penix, but I mean Bo Nix is a if, if there's ever such a thing as a veteran college quarterback, I mean, Michael, I mean, Bo Nix has been playing football since the Stone Age, essentially. No, I'm kidding. He's been playing since 2019. He's been a collegiate starter in Auburn. By the way, SEC football in 2019 was very, very difficult. Oh, you know, gosh, yeah. Yeah, very, very difficult. So, I mean, he was, and he's been playing ever since then. He's transferred to Oregon since. Um, and he's had a lot of time playing football. And just, so coming into an atmosphere like, um, Husky Stadium on a rainy Saturday, um, probably rainy on Saturday. It's Seattle, it's October. Yeah. It's gonna rain on Saturday. Um, is is almost nothing new to him. This is this guy is also in the same Heisman talks as Michael Penix is. He might be even better on his feet than Michael Penix is, and he's also got a great team um, around him. That being said, that all being said, I feel like these two teams are kind of offensively anyway are looking in the mirror at themselves. Um, Oregon obviously a lot better on the run. Um, for the first five weeks, I talked about who they've played this week the, since the season started. Not a lot of great teams, but they are still putting up 220 yards on the ground against them. That's Those are Madden numbers. Trust me, my Madden team is putting up those same numbers right now. Um, all that may come to a head whenever they play the Huskies, though. The one thing I think the Huskies definitely need to do is keep the passing, keep keep other teams from passing too much completions you know the huskies have averaged about 240 yards given up 240 yards through the air against teams like boise state and cal you know i mean and these are and these are teams that the huskies have beaten tremendously but they cannot allow bo Nix to throw for 300 yards against them that yeah. would almost be a death sentence <clears throat> yeah sure yeah 100 percent. but i do still think though the huskies have a very 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 real chance of making it to the college football playoff and beating Oregon this weekend. I like that. And I like to your point, I think that you, they beat Oregon. I think they do it by two touchdowns. And I think they have the inside track to the college football playoff so long as they don't stub their toe. But I don't think that's something with this team. And I think that starts with the Penix Jr. I'm very clearly, as you've listened the last few minutes, a fan of Mike. Um, I am too. And I know you are, of course. And then, you'll win the Heisman this And year, he, you know, just the way he throws the ball, it's so effortless. He can pinpoint accuracy. It's incredible. The big thing that stands out to me about Mike is the, you know, is one of the first people to be able to do an interview with him, like a one-on-one chat, not in like a group setting or a press conference or something like that. And I remember asking him about everything he's been through. And if you're unfamiliar, which uh, so many UW fans are quite clearly familiar, you know, he, he's had so many injuries, devastating ones, two torn ACLs, a uh, collarbone injury. You, there's more. Um, and, and it, you know, it ruined really his career at Indiana before he transferred to UW and just 
just skyrocketed to stardom. But I remember we were sitting, talking about this interview. It was pre-season 2022, before he even took a snap in a Huskies uniform. And I asked him about that. And he said, kind of like this, like pondering. He said, you know, I don't really talk about this. I don't like to talk about it, but I'm going to open up with you. And that meant a lot to me. That was like trust within an interview, which is as a reporter, one of the best things you can have, especially with somebody you met five minutes prior. And uh, he went into it and he, and he elaborated, you know, he elaborated that he almost quit football and that it was a really difficult stretch. And he wondered why this was happening to him. But the reason he didn't quit, he didn't want to let people down. He didn't want to let his family down. He didn't want to let young players out there that look up to him down. He wanted to be that shining example that there is always going to be adversity in life and it comes in different forms. But for Michael Penix Jr., that wasn't going to be the definition or the end of his story. And it wasn't, as we've all seen since then. And so that's a guy who, for lack of a better term, called his shot right there, right? Mm -hmm. He's like, I I know, I know I've got bigger and better things ahead of me. And he had faith in it. And it's paid off. And I and I just want that story to be completed. And for him, that means going to the college football playoff and beyond and taking his talents to the next level. And I think I don't think there's anything that can stop him from doing that. I know you feel the same way. It's just a personal. I love everything that guy brings to the table. I, I couldn't agree with you more. Um, I mentioned on a couple episodes ago that, you know, I'll kind of treading back into NFL here that, you know, Geno Smith, you know, has is not exactly a spring chicken. I mean, he is a new-ish quarterback to the Seahawks, but he's not new to playing football. Um, and the Seahawks could be looking at drafting a quarterback here maybe within the next year or two. And you're talking about how much of a stand-up guy, how much of a role model that Michael Penix Jr. is. <clears throat> at Seahawks, <laughs> I mean, he just he would just have to go down to Renton and, uh, instead of hanging out at Husky Stadium and said, these are things I think about, I don't really know. Also, I like when, the way your mind works, though. Yeah, I mean, and also, and this may sound kind of odd, but is not going from Indiana playing football to playing football at UW sending kind of like an upgrade? Oh, gosh, yeah. I mean, sure. I mean, <laughs> like, first of all, we love you, Michael. Thank you for coming. Um, but you definitely upgraded. You, you're you're a Husky now. You went from a Husky to Hoosier. Or Hoosier to Husky, I, sh- I yeah, should yeah, say. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There you go. Um, What's your score? <sighs> well, I'm torn, Nico. Okay. Because I said, I, I said 41-27. That's my story. I'm sticking to it. Just don't come at me on Saturday if it's wrong. But I don't, I don't think – I mean, the score may not be that, but I think the Huskies win. Close first half, pull away in the second. I want to see a classic. I, I, that'd be great. I mean, and the thing is, both the both of these teams made. We're going to learn a lot about both these teams because both these teams are playing each other. For this is their first like major, just like this is a game game, um, for Oregon and Washington. And I definitely believe that it will be close. It may. I do believe it might be a little sloppy at the beginning because of the quality of opponent that each team is is playing. Um, I think it'll be within ten points. I think maybe. Huskies win 28 to 20. Okay. I but like that. if it was the opposite way, I would not be surprised though. Sure. Um, Oregon has the same views um, and the same aspirations and the same goals that, that UW has. I think they have a better running game and I, I believe they have a stronger defense, but I do believe, I do believe that UW has the better receivers. Though, yeah, I agree, 100%. I agree with that. 100%. And I mean and, f- and Michael Penix Jr is averaging as many yards as he is through the air per game because of this because of him and the strength of his receivers and their bond together. So 
And I think it'll be a fun game. I want to say it's the instant classic. I'm excited, man. I'm getting I'm getting fired. Yeah, college game day coming to Seattle at, at like what 4 a.m. whatever time it is, you know, yeah. on a rainy Saturday in October to watch the Ducks play the, the Huskies. Oh man, I'm just oh my god, I'm just yeah, my, up, yeah, my goosebumps seven and eight, on. you know. I mean, this is almost kind of like this is gonna serve almost as an elimination game for the Pac-12 championship game because you know, USC plays both these teams back to back, by the way, in November next month. Um and we'll have to see how that turns out. But I mean, you don't want to go in to USC one loss. Yeah. You never know. I mean, that being said, UW is better than USC. I'll say that right now. Um, and but but as you mentioned, we talked about the Heisman voting because we both like Michael Penix Jr. to win the Heisman. Games like this are big show me games. These are on A C on Cohen. Um and it's in the middle of the day. And this is like the first time where people on the East Coast can be like, wait, the Huskies, they're pretty yeah, good. 3, 330 that, Pacific, you know, that, Eastern, 1230 Pacific. Yeah. That, that purple number nine, that lefty guy, hey, he can throw the ball a mile, huh? Okay, how about that? Oregon, okay, how about that? You know, unfortunately, both these teams will be in the uh, be in the big, uh, big 10 next year. But that being said, this is a big show me game for everyone involved. And everyone needs to watch this game. I agree with you there. Go dogs, right? Go dogs. I like that. I want to talk about one more thing with UW before we let everybody go today. The idea that um, it's been a busy week, not just with this game, but they have a new athletic director, Troy Dannon, coming over from Tulane. And he really, in his eight years there, turned them into a football juggernaut. I mean, we're talking about Tulane, which uh cool school in New Orleans had a great undefeated 12-0 season in 1998, I believe, with I was, Bowden as their coach. I was seven at the time, by the way. I was 13. Yeah. But um, <laughs> dating ourselves here. <laughs> Um, but not much since on the gridiron. And so when he steps in and within his tenure, they go to the cotton bowl and they beat USC and they're ranked in the top 10 to finish last year's poll. I mean, that's the kind of investment and that's the kind of turnaround that just is very difficult to do at a school like that. So I like Dan and Sire and certainly Kalen DeBoer has been the biggest, uh, catalyst for change at UW football. I mean, 2021 was a miserable campaign. DeBoer walks in the door with his quarterback Penix and they run, run the table for 11 and two and, and now they're five and oh. So, but back to Dannon, you know, now if we talked about this earlier, one thing that he said that really stood out to me, I asked him about the changing landscape in scout in college sports. Is it a challenge or is it exciting about what is in store? And he said, you know, um, there's a lot of schools on the train, and I'm paraphrasing this part, a lot of schools on the train tracks, and there's a big train coming through, and those schools on the tracks are looking back uh, for what was, for nostalgia, for tradition, something they missed, something that's gone. And again, I'm paraphrasing, and the train's going to go right through. But UW, on the other hand, has turned the corner. They're around the corner. They're advanced from that. And he went on to say, this is going to be a direct quote. He said, if you think the last three to five years have been tumultuous, the next three to five years are going to put it to shame talking about the college football landscape. And that to me is like, wait, what the heck's going to happen? It in sounds the next three stressful. Five? Like, <laughs> like the last three years have been crazy. What's going to happen in the next three? I don't, I don't know if I want to know that, but when it comes down to it, that's the kind of leader you want, right? The guy who sees the next three to five years down the road, the guy that understands what needs to be done to put have, and listen, UW has a seat at the table before he even arrives. Right. That was right. The, you know, president Kausay and, and, and Jen Cohen's, uh, administration uh, making that happen. With it. But to have that sight for what's to come down the road, I, th I think that's critical and that's who you want in a leader. Do you think, and as you, you you talk about the quote and you paraphrase it, do you think he was talking about Wazoo? I think so. I, I think that he was talking about a lot of schools, but I think that includes Wazoo. 
Um, because I mean, we look at what well, I mean. That's a great, great question. Even, I, I don't want to put an answer in his mouth, but that's an excellent question. I mean, man. even though you look at, I mean, even just in our newsroom, we have a lot of cougs in yeah. the newsroom. And it's just the past couple months have just been very, very rough. And there is kind of a feeling just kind of just like kind of looking back at the tradition, nostalgia. That That's the feeling I'm getting from them, you know? Yeah. And yeah. just kind of like, and they kind of don't really know where, what, what exactly is happening. The Oregon State is probably feeling the same way. Um, but that made me think, you know, I mean, it sounds like UW is just, leaving everyone in the dust sure and and i think that you know that goes for some of the schools like uh like you said wazoo and oregon state are the first to come to mind in that regard and and you know he was asked about if the apple cup's going to continue and certainly he's not privy to that he was doing a press conference 26 hours into his arrival in seattle like there's a lot of catching up to do yeah Um, he barely has a range but he made a point and this is what i like about him you know instead of just saying that the the thing that fans want to hear and fans what they want is obviously critical but instead of just saying like, oh yeah, we're going to keep the Apple cup going. It's a great rivalry. And, and of course it is. He said, I'm going to tell you this. We're going to, we, this is a business model. Football is, you know, uh, the major economic drivers. And he said, we're going to play seven home games Yeah, because they need to sell that ticket revenue from seven and sponsorships from seven home games. And if so, and if, in other words, playing seven games is going to take precedence over playing the Cougs. If it comes to one thing or the other, you can have both great, but if it comes to one thing or the other, He's going to pick the seven home games because he's got an athletic department to look out for and not not some past tradition or, you know, lamenting or missing something that's lost in a conference rivalry. You can agree with that or not, but that's going to keep his school and athletic department afloat. That kind of thinking. I, I love it. I, 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 because I it's love not it, too. Easy. It's, yeah. it's not easy. You do have to kind of be kind of a bit of a, thro- a cutthroat about it, honestly, you know. I mean, you have to be kind of definitely just into it. Uh, speaking about Tulane, um, little parentheses, best uniforms in college football. Love the old throwback. Love, they went I to. love the light blue and I love the I love the green. I love those like two the together. Fighting wave. The fighting wave. Oh, did God. I do my good imitation? Name? Like, the, there you I've go. I've imitated two masks. But they're like, hey. the wave is very much the, the wave is definitely <laughs> boxing. Yeah, well, because he's kind of <laughs> gritting his teeth a bit, you know. Um, and you were mentioning you know Wazoo. They did lose to UCLA last weekend. Yeah, tough one. Um, but they do. I think the, I think they're a nine-win team still. I think they're a nine-win team, and a lot of people were talking about Cam Ward for the Heisman. I mean, then that, that could also probably still happen. They play or uh, Arizona if I'm he sorry. shows out. Yeah, if he shows out, they play Arizona this week. And also, we're talking about Oregon so much in two weeks after that they play Oregon on ABC. So, yeah. um Cougs. Yeah. You have something to cheer for. No question me. about it. And I a think really good team. Very good team. Holiday Bowl against Syracuse is my prediction. Huskies in the college football playoff against Georgia in the first round. Um those are my bowl projections in mid-October. See me in mid-November. Oh, Georgia. Well, because the Huskies, I would predict, would be the four seed, and Georgia would be number one. That's true. That's true. That's my comment. I'd love to watch that. I'd love to watch that. I think it'd be closer than people think. I hope you're right, Nico. So, I hope you're right. I have a lot of respect for Georgia. I really do. Yeah, it'd be um, fun. Yeah. But Penix, man, and, and that offense, the the dogs defense is much improved, but against that Georgia offense, it might be a struggle. But I think the I think the offense would put up points. I do I think that. I mean, how many points would it be enough to win? Let's not go down that road. We've got seven games to go here. We got, so. Yeah, we got a long way to go, guys. Long way to let's go. Let's just focus on Saturday. Let's also enjoy Saturday that we're getting really, really good football um between two um geographic rivals uh sure. conference rivals um and I, I mean i know a lot of oregon fans are just kind of just like oh when i worried about this game yet. yeah worry about it you know this is a big game um and everyone this like you said before you said this many times this is the game of the weekend it so. is and in and, and anywhere and anywhere and if you're going to watch it watch it on como and then continue watching all of our newscasts throughout the day on that note
you just ended this podcast perfectly, Nash. Thank you. <laughs> I no, it's, it, thank you. Uh, we're gonna be back same time next week. We we love bringing this to you, and uh, for our viewers who were actually able to watch this for the first time, we appreciate that. Thank you. Thank you. And we'll see you next week. That is the Como Sports End Zone podcast. He's Najee. I'm Nico. Take care. Bye.